Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. And we're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Two weeks ago, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that 17,000 poor, elderly, or disabled Georgians had lost their Medicaid benefits. The State Department of Community Health said their accounts were terminated for not responding to renewal notices. notices. Now, just today, the AJC reports state officials have revealed the number of people slated to lose Medicaid will be 30,000. Many of those have already dropped, and their lawyers say they never received those notices, and now they're fighting to get their benefits back. Ariel Hart broke the story and has been following it for the AJC. She joins me now in the studio. Ariel, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Elisa Haber is also with us. She's a staff attorney at the Georgia Senior Legal Hotline, assisting seniors all over the state to apply for and keep their Medicaid benefits. Hello, Elisa. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, Ariel, first, because Medicare and Medicaid often get confused, what and who is covered under Medicaid? Right. So, yeah. Medicare is generally the program for the elderly. Medicaid is generally the program for the younger poor and children. In this case, these folks often have both. They have Medicare and um, they are elderly or they are disabled um, or just um, uh, or both. And they are also so poor that Medicaid steps in additionally to take care of the gaps in Medicare coverage. So Medicaid would be paying like their premium, their monthly premium of more than $100 a month, their co-pays and their uh, prescriptions. So in of the 17,000, of course, broadly, all over the state, age all over range? The state. Um, and so I'm getting slightly... Um, I'm getting not complete information about that, but in general, we know that all, if a lot, if not all of them, are age blind and disabled. How were they notified that they'd been cut from Medicaid? So that is the big question. Um, Yesterday, for the first time, I got a really full explanation from the two agencies that are involved in this, DCH and DFACS, the Department of Community Health and the Division of Family and Children's Services. Um, The state says that Notices were sent to all of these people. You are, uh, it's time to renew. You have to renew. And then we haven't heard from you. Uh, If you don't renew, you're going to get cut off. And then that led to this situation. Um, Folks like Elisa and some lawyers are saying different. Elisa, what are lawyers saying? What we are seeing at the senior hotline is different than that. The notices that came out that said that we are terminating you, that this story broke is a May 3rd notice that says your certification period has ended. And that's it. There's no chance to renew. No invitation to renew. Right. And versus, and I have clients that happen to, I have other clients that were up for renewal during the same time period. And those folks have the regular renewal notices, such as an April 15th, hey, it's time to renew. You can go online. You can uh, come pick up a form at DFAX, all of these options. And then I have in one particular client who didn't get the paperwork in in time, he then got a May 12th notice saying, hey, we still haven't heard from you. It's time to renew. If you don't do this, we're going to have to close it 
on May 31st. That is a stark difference from these May 3rd notices that say your certification period has ended, you can appeal. And do these come via email? So the notices come to them in the mail. USPS? Yes. Okay. So one can't go back through their computer files and say, look, we never saw anything from you, for example. So this is a big issue of how do you prove that you didn't get something. We at Georgia Legal, at the Senior Legal Hotline, we're able to, and Georgia Legal Services, who is working with these clients, um, with clients' permission, will go on their gateway account to look to see what notices are there or not. And in the ones that are part of this 17,000, now 30,000 people, there are no notices that show up at all on Gateway except for that May 3rd. There's, you don't see the ones that go back saying April 15th, here's your first notice, here's all right. your first warning. Ariel, I want to just, yes. Yeah, and to, to be clear, um, so the lawyers and the hotline have not seen all 30,000 people. They have had a ton of calls, but um, the only, uh, you know, I guess the only way to verify that it's all 30,000 people is to go into all 30,000 accounts and look and see where these notices sent. Um, DCH and DFACS are saying that we have looked into this computer issue. They're the ones who own the servers. And we can say that 68 people did not get notices as they should have. But so that's a far cry from 17,000. That's 17, a far 000. cry from 17,000 or 30,000, mm-hmm. well, as it's, it's going to be. Um, you know, that said, um, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to some of the lawyers this morning and to Elisa, and um, they think that the number and suddenness of the calls that they're getting speak to a larger number. Okay. So can you explain for us the difference between the 17,000 now 30,000? Right. So um, this all resulted from a backlog. Um, the a computer system that was supposed to manage these cases that would alert a caseworker, okay, this this person has not responded. Um, please review this case as a human being and, and make sure that it's ready for termination. And then um, that caseworker would terminate. Those alerts weren't happening. And so the cases weren't getting purged um, as apparently they're supposed to do. Okay. So... And so uh, somebody noticed that that last year. And uh, as we broke the story on the AJC this morning on AJC.com, um, that resulted in a backlog of 30,000 cases, DCH or DFACS. Uh, and DCH decided to break those into two groups, 17,000 to be terminated um, on, I believe, on June 1st. And then the other 13,000 were slated to go in another month. But um, they are now reviewing those. I, th- I think they're doing that, um, you know, fo- following all the outcry. And and so what kind of options will people who were cut off have to re-enroll? Yeah, that's another issue. I mean, and to me, that's almost the biggest issue because it speaks to the per- customer service problem. That e- even if all of these people had gotten notices or suddenly re- realized that their benefits were cut off f- um, for incorrect reasons, you would hope that they could um, just call up and get it reversed. And it's... They can, DCDH and the state and DFACS are offering them until August 30, uh, until 
August and don't uh, August thirty first. Okay, August thirty first to reapply um, and and renew and and get this all reversed and get their money back. I, I have had some clients be able to get their renewal forms in, and I just spoke with a client yesterday afternoon, and she was walking to her mailbox and said, "I got a letter. Let me read it to you." And she was approved. So we were, she was crying, literally crying. It was like she had won the lottery because now she's not going to have money taken out of her check each month. But that's only one client. So far. Well, let's, let's just listen. We did call the State Department of Community Health to get an idea of what it would be like for someone needing to reinstate benefits. And here's what we heard. The state of Georgia values education and wants every child to graduate from high school. So be prepared to talk with your case manager about your child's educational status, because we want every child to succeed. And then the next option was repeated a couple of times. Do your application status, renewal status, or current case status, you will need to enter the social security number and date of birth or client ID of the person listed as the head of household. And it took about four minutes to arrive at the option to dial an operator. Then we got this. All of our agents are assisting other customers. We will call you back today in the order received. As of 9 o'clock this morning, we still had not heard back. This was calls were made yesterday afternoon. So as for those who have already been removed from the system, Elisa, what are you hearing from people? Is there an appeal process? So... We have advised clients to file an appeal. For many of our clients, that means we have to help them with that appeal because they don't have the transportation to get to defects or they get to defects and they are given the runaround in the office. So they need to renew. They also, I mean, they need to request a hearing, but we are encouraging them to submit a renewal form. It's called a 508 renewal. And... That is, I didn't count the pages. I think it's 15 pages. Parts of it have to do with Medicaid. And so maybe only about three to four pages, but you have to go through it. And I literally spent 45 minutes on the phone yesterday with a client trying to figure out which parts she needed to fill in just to get that renewal done. That's Elisa Haber. She's a staff attorney with the Georgia Senior Legal Hotline. And I'm also speaking with AJC reporter Ariel Hart, who broke the story about 17,000 poor, disabled, or elderly Georgians being cut from Medicaid. Well, an update on that story, it looks like it'll be 30,000. Now, the State Department of Community Health said those clients did not renew their benefits and those uh, client said they never got those renewal notices. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about numbers, but let's put a little bit of a face on this. Uh, Ariel, you spoke to Louis Askew, 70-year-old Army veteran who depends on Social Security and Medicaid. How did he find out his account had been terminated? So he found out um, he got a termination notice. And indeed, um, his lawyers, when when he called uh, Georgia Legal Services, the nonprofit lawyers who are helping a lot of these people across the state, uh, were able to look in his case on the gateway computer system and see that indeed no notice had been sent to him prior to the termination notice. So where does that leave him? 
You know, I mean, so he tried to solve it on his own. He called the phone number um, and he went to offices and uh, had to go to a couple of different offices to get to the correct one. Uh, he's lucky in that he had uh, transportation that day, that he was able to do that. A lot of these folks have no computer, no transportation, sometimes no phone. Um, and then, you know, he's uh, he's got his wits together and he finally gave up. And um, on each state notice, there is contact information for the lawyers. And so he went to the lawyers. Okay. So the state provides confirmation, yes, uh, information that, for it, the lawyers. Exactly. So... All right. You've spoken with lawyers helping these folks. You're a lawyer yourself, Alyssa. Alyssa, rather. Is there any potential legal liability for DCH in this case? I, you know, can you go back to them and say, we want retroactive benefits? Or Well, what we're looking at with these is there is, and this is the, from, from a perspective of our clients, when you file a renewal, the idea is to have no break in benefits. But if it if the termination happens and they have to reapply, which is what seems to be indicated that, hey, you can reapply within 90 days, what happens? Remember, she said that you they pay for the premium. That's $135 a month. For many of my clients, that's more than 10% of their income. And if that gets taken out, then their budget can be shot and so this affects our clients in so many ways that if they don't get that appeal in in time or do this process, they're going to, yes, they will get what's called retroactive back benefits, but at that point, they might have missed a payment on rent. I had one client ask me, could I write a letter to his landlord because he was in this process and he wasn't going to have the money to pay his rent. What is the normal process for renewal of benefits? Is it done annually? So, yes. And what's interesting is in this particular problem with the May 3rd notices terminating on May 31st, I have other clients who were facing a May 31st termination um, or end of eligibility if they didn't renew, but they got the process. So they weren't part of this. They were just, it was their annual review date. And for them, they're able to go and do with the notice that they get, they can either renew based on that notice or they can log into um Gateway, the problem, even with the regular notices, I know we're talking about this huge, massive um, termination across the state, but just on an everyday basis, when clients get the notice saying it's time to renew, it doesn't have a renewal form in there. And so many of the clients without the lack of, they, they don't have access to a computer, they don't have transportation to get to defects, they go to defects and can't be seen or talk to somebody, then with they don't have that renewal, so they call us just like um, Mr. Askew. They find our number on those forms and eventually call us and say, I've been trying for days, weeks, months, and can't get anybody, and I send them their renewal. Yeah, and I want to add, you would know better than I, but what I've heard is that once the lawyers get involved and start dealing with defects, you know, there's a willingness to help, a willingness to try and figure out what's gone wrong. But um, 
to me, that kind of gets to the larger issue here is that there's no one evil deciding that people shouldn't get Medicaid. Right. People come on and off of benefits all the time. And if you just let uh, all cases accumulate to the end of time, we wouldn't be able to serve the people that the state needs to serve because there wouldn't be enough money. But when the bureaucracy is not working, um, it it really makes it very difficult to make sure that the right that the right people are getting benefits that are meant to get benefits. And DFACS has told me that they are down 500 workers. These are the people that process cases. The um, they're finding it very difficult to hire people. The salary that uh, is offered is twenty-seven thousand dollars a year, which you know. Um, uh, uh, if you know, I certainly wouldn't hire um, a lawyer who's willing to make twenty-seven thousand dollars a year unless they're very, very, um, you know, working in the nonprofit sector. <laughs> you would probably know better than I. But, salary. but you know, that's that's under poverty level for a family of five. So I think that there are a lot of difficulties here that go far beyond the immediate news. Okay, well, uh, and I'm guessing that people who did not get dropped should pay special attention to their renewal yes, notices. Yes, definitely. And call the Georgia Senior Legal Hotline. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for being with us. Atlanta, Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter Ariel Hart, who have broke the story and has been following it. Thanks so much. Thank you. And Elisa Haber, she's staff attorney with the Georgia Senior Legal Hotline. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we do have some good positive news to share. Over the weekend, On Second Thought won second place in the prestigious nationwide Prindy Awards. That's for the Public Radio News Directors Incorporated. And the award was for Best News Public Affairs Program in the country, which beat out programs in other large markets like New York and Chicago and in L.A. So thanks to LaRaven Taylor and to Tyler Morris, who produced the winning show, and to all of our team. And thank you for listening to On Second Thought, for supporting it and making this national award-winning show possible. If you'd like to hear our award-winning interview, it was my conversation with a former Imperial Nighthawk of the North Georgia KKK and a Muslim cardiologist who became his friend. You can go to gpbnews.org. If you missed that or any of today's show, you can sign up for our podcast. Go to the Programs tab for On Second Thought and GPB News and subscribe so you'll never miss any of our award-winning programming. La-di-da. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.